come a little closer, madam. I want to tell you about something your children will love. This is Ghouls Only Cast, a podcast about lesser-known films across all genres. Who wants to die for art? I told you, no more deaths in the house! Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ghouls Only Cast Fun Size. As always, this is Meg. And this is Connor. So if this is your first time joining us for a fun size, basically in this we don't really go too in-depth on all of the facts about the movie. We don't go super in-depth into the plot. We just kind of talk about it lightly and then say our opinions of the movies and just kind of go with that. So today we are talking about two Mancunian singer biopics, which sounds kind of weird, but basically it's about two singers that come from Manchester. So today we have Control from 2007 and England is Mine from 2017, exactly 10 years apart. And much further apart in terms of quality. Yeah, we have very, very different opinions about these movies um, in terms of what we like and what we don't like. Um, Yeah, these are two very, very different movies. Like they are pretty same in subject, but yeah, they're really nothing alike. In theory, I mean, they're both about two musicians from the Manchester area who were making music within a few years of each other. So yeah. it, it's very similar, very similar scenes. But yeah, not only in terms of the quality, but just the approach to the movies. It's hard to think of two more different ways you could have done this. Yeah, they have almost nothing in common, but at the same time, a lot in common, because you can tell that there are some things with England as mine that took quite a bit from Control. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess we'll just get into it. I think we're going to start with Control first. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. So Control is basically the story of Ian Curtis. Yeah, so the story of Ian Curtis, the lead singer of Joy Division. Yeah. Um, so I think you've recently gotten into Joy Division quite a bit, and so that that was kind of the impetus for watching this movie. So yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about Joy Division and kind of your, your thoughts on them? I would love to. So I've actually loved New Order for a really, really long time, and I had no idea that New Order was made up of the surviving members of Joy Division. I thought that's kind of interesting because I had heard some Joy Division before, and I thought, like, man... I really, really, really like the music, but I fucking hate this guy's voice. Like, I really, really didn't like Ian's voice. It took quite a bit for me to realize, like, oh, he actually has, like, a really unique and interesting voice. And mostly what I can take away from it is that he is, I believe, one of the most brilliant lyricists ever for being as young as he was. Yeah, absolutely. That's something... You rarely hear about a case... Spoiler alert for those who aren't too aware, Ian Curtis does die. Um, so we'll get to that at the end of the movie, but just for some context, New Order, huge band in the eighties. They had the hit with uh, a huge hit with Blue Monday, which I think everyone everyone knows knows that song, but they were a really rare case of a band that was able to survive a huge tragedy of their lead singer dying Mm -hmm. and then kind of reform as New Order and become an even bigger band than they were before. Yeah, it seems that they were destined to succeed no matter what happened. Yeah. Because Joy Division was gaining really serious popularity. And, you know, Ian tragically took his life the night before he was supposed to go off and meet his bandmates to go on their first American tour that was going to be two weeks. And 
they were going to play two days in San Francisco and the fucking dead Kennedys were going to open for them at one of the shows. Yeah. Just imagine that parallel universe where that actually happened. Oh, yeah, where all the guys from Joy Division sitting around while Jello Biafra is just in their face pointing at them and talking about Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they would have loved it. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I am a huge Joy Division fan now. I really, really love Joy Division. I think that... You know, it's a real tragedy that when most people think of Joy Division, they just think of the Unknown Pleasure shirt Mm -hmm. because they are so, so much more than that. And I think that their history is, uh, you know, they were able to go on with New New Order, but what happened with Ian was so incredibly sad. But at the same time, the story of, like, the band itself is really fucking hilarious and interesting. And I just want to give like a recommendation if you if anybody's listening if you've never listened to uh no dogs in space which is marcus parks and his wife carolina hidalgo he's from uh last podcast on the left they do like this huge breakdown of joy division and go through like everything that happened in their career and it's so fucking good like they had a funny story because they were all just like a bunch of lads Mm -hmm. i mean uh joy division has this really sad ending and ian's lyrics are so incredibly dour at times but they were just like a bunch of guys that loved taking big shits and going to look at them (laughs) which is something that isn't covered in control no Uh, but i think so yeah good recommendation but even if you don't want to dive that deep into it Control is a really concise and well-told version of mm-hmm. the band starting with Ian basically being kind of a a little bit of a delinquent in high school, just, you know, kind of getting caught up in the glam world to, you know, starting the band with Joy Division all the way through, like you said, to the eve of their U.S. tour and where he tragically took his own life. And it's exactly what you want in this kind of biopic where... Not only is it a compelling story in its own right, regardless of whether or not you're a fan, but if you are a fan, it does kind of hit all of the key points. It, it really tells does. the whole story. It covers everything. Even you know Peter Hook from uh, the band, the yeah. the bassist of the band, he he referenced that this movie was really accurate. Like it covered it pretty well. Which you yeah. know, anytime you have, of course, like anytime you have. A movie version of events you're gonna have to make things more concise you might have to rearrange some things but the fact that he would look at a movie based off events he witnessed and just say like yeah this is pretty accurate is kind of a testament to how well this movie was put together yeah and that's pretty serious yeah and he did say that the movie's so good that only two people got up to go to the bathroom at the premiere and one was an old woman and the other one was bernard sumner and he was just like i lived it i don't need to see it <laughs> exactly And so there's some contention with Control over which movie is better because this movie actually kind of has a predecessor because there are a lot of people who say, like, that Control is better, but there are other people that say that 24-Hour Party People is better, which is a movie that came out in 2002. It's starring Steve Coogan as uh, Tony Wilson, who was the uh, owner-founder of Factory Records, which is what Division was signed to. It's a, it's a comedy, and it follows mostly Factory Records. Like, it's it's early days, and then it's uh, growth, and then opening up the Hacienda, and that horrible mm-hmm. thing, and it follows Joy Division, and Ian's death, and uh, the Happy Mondays. Yeah, it, it basically, within the whole movie, it tell, it condenses the Joy Division story into maybe, like, 15 or 20 minutes of that movie is devoted that, to that, yeah. if that. 
Um, because, you know, they were an early band that he signed and it kind of tells that story. Yeah. But again, 24 hour party people, like you said, it's more of a comedy. Uh, yeah. it's, it's definitely going for that vibe. It's, it's a fun movie, mm-hmm. but a lot of the movie itself even references this, but plenty of people who were involved in the event say it is not a very accurate movie. No, but it's funny. It's funny. That's yeah. I think that's what Peter Hook said. He's like, it, it doesn't follow it, but it's funny. Yeah. Ian in that movie is played by Sean Harris, who does an okay job. And I just think it's so funny because you'll see like some clips of it on YouTube where they have like the concert shows and people are like, man, this guy sounds so much more like Ian than uh, the actor in Control did. And it's like, it's because he's fucking miming. Yeah. Yeah, so in 24-Hour Party People, they went with the approach of just miming over the actual Joy Division songs, which... Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of movies lot of like this will do, do that, which yeah. is fine. Uh, Control took a really interesting approach of actually having all the uh, actors who are playing the band members perform the music. Yeah, many of them had to actually learn their instrument. Yeah, and they do really well. They do an incredible job. In particular, I just want to like say, just as an aside, the actor who plays Stephen Morris, the drummer, Harry Treadaway, who was uh, one half of the Siamese twins from Brothers of the Head, which is a an interesting movie in itself. Yeah. Um, which also has Sean Harris from 24-Hour Party People in it. It's mm-hmm. a very small world there, but... You know, he played guitar in Brothers of the Head, and he had to learn how to play drums for Control. And I've seen on YouTube, someone did a really nice side-by-side comparison of live footage and TV footage of Joy Division next to Control. And in particular, you know, Sam Riley does a good job as Ian. Everyone knows that. But when you watch Harry Treadway in the back and you see uh, Stephen Morris, it's like someone cut and paste Stephen Morris. Like, he does so good. And if you've listened to any fucking Joy Division, you know how crazy the fucking drums are. Yeah, it's no small feat to, to be able to match Stephen Morris. Stephen Morris is a drum machine. Yeah. So Control was directed by Anton Corbin. It was his first feature film. The title of Control comes from the song title, She's Lost Control, off of Unknown Pleasures. And it can kind of also be sort of a play on Ian's own desire for control in his own life, possibly. Anton Corbin is a Dutch photographer. He's done music videos in the past. He's done a lot of really famous rock and roll photos. Like, when I went and I found some of the pictures he had taken, I was like, holy shit, because one thing that makes Anton Corbin perfect to be this director was that he was there with Joy Division. He knew all of these guys, and he knew Ian. He actually took the famous photo of Ian when he's sitting on a kit with his legs crossed and he has a cigarette and he's uh, pinching the bridge of his nose. Yeah, I think, you know, once again, going back to how Control is so accurate and captures it so well, he was there. He knew these people. Mm-hmm. He, he was part of that crowd. And so, like, he definitely brought that to the movie. He really did. He also took the really famous picture of PJ Harvey where she's wearing really heavy makeup and looking over her shoulder in a uh, big fur coat. Mm -hmm. That's a really cool picture. And he also uh, took the picture of Nick Cave for the cover of The Boatman's Call. Yeah, he's one of those guys when you start looking into him more and more, it's just like, 
man, you are fascinating. You've done so much. Yeah, and he uh, he did the music video for Atmosphere, the Joy Division song that was played in 24-Hour Party People at the part where you know Ian has died mm-hmm. because Atmosphere is a very much a funeral kind of song. It's very, very sad. Yeah. Yeah, he did some Depeche Mode music videos, but I think the main thing that you can take away from here, if you know any of the pictures I'm talking about or any of the videos I'm talking about, you would get that Control is shot in black and white. Yeah. Beautifully shot in black and white. It was a good choice to make it a black and white film. Yeah. Because it definitely captured... And he referenced this um, in some interviews, you know, a lot of the pictures of Joy Division from that era are black and white photos. Yeah, it's very, very rare that you see pictures of them in color and pictures of them having a good time. Like, you would never expect, like, what little shits they actually mm-hmm. were and and the pranks that they pulled on each other from looking at these pictures. I think Kevin Cummins is a really talented photographer who does the same stuff as Anton Corbin, who took even more pictures of Joy Division. And he, I think he said that... Um, one of the things that makes people have this preconceived notion about Ian and who he was, was looking at his pictures because he said, you know, I take all these pictures in black and white and I always pick out, you know, the few pictures where they all look cool and dour. I don't show everyone the millions of pictures I have of all of them where they're smiling and laughing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that definitely was the image of the band. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So the plot of Control follows Ian Curtis from meeting uh, Debbie, who went on to be his wife when he was 19 and she was 18. Well, actually, I think he was 18 when it started because he was still in school when the movie starts. Yeah, however British high school works. So I'm still <laughs> I confused still don't, by that. I have no fucking clue how their schooling system works. But it goes from Ian meeting Debbie, going through school, marrying Debbie, his affair that he has, mm-hmm. you know, Uh, joy division it goes through his career that he had at the unemployment office that he loved yeah and it shows you know his first epileptic seizure because that's another thing about ian curtis that is really really notable is that he suffered from very severe epilepsy that was triggered when he was about 20 which is usually when the onset is Mm -hmm. follows his fatherhood because he has a daughter and then his eventual suicide Keep in mind, everything that I just mentioned happened in the span of about four years. Yeah, it's amazing. He died at the age of 23. Yeah. It's hard to believe there's so much that occurred in such a short span. It's really tragic when you think about it. Like, Ian was living at the speed of light. Yeah. Because he wanted to... He was doing too much. Mm -hmm. He was doing too much. I mean, when I was in my early 20s, I can't imagine having a career and helping people at an unemployment office, and also being married, and having a child, and then also trying to be a rock star, and and the whole time having horrible, horrible epilepsy. Absolutely. It's just so much. It's too much. Yeah. It's really, really too much. And the thing that is most tragic about all of it is that, you know, I could talk about Joy Division forever. (laughs) I can talk about Ian Curtis forever, but... You know, there's a good chance that the pills that he was on would have eventually possibly killed him, you know, and that was something that his doctor said that eventually, and I think they uh, cover it in the movie too, that he would get to a point where he could, he would probably be having a grand mal seizure every few hours. Yeah. Which would just make life 
That's intense. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to go through life like that. He couldn't hold his daughter. Yeah. And, you know, he felt like that they got married too young, and which they really, really did. Yeah. But the thing about this movie is that it actually very, very closely follows Debbie Curtis's book that she uh, released in the early 90s called Touching from a Distance, which is based off of lyrics from Transmission. And just the attention to detail that it follows from her book, like just the smallest things, like even that when he was in high school, they would go and steal pills from old people and take them and... Mm -hmm. uh, or a good example of the attention to detail, they actually filmed in yeah. Ian and Debbie's house. Yeah, they actually filmed at their house on Barton Street in Macclesfield, which is absolutely insane. And some people would hear that and think that that's bad taste. But Debbie was actually on set almost every day. Yeah. If you uh, get a hold of the Blu-ray or DVD and you look at the behind the scenes, there are some shots where you are just looking, you're like, that's Debbie. Mm -hmm. And uh, Debbie's book is really good. I recommend it if you haven't read it and you like Joy Division because it gives a uh, portrait of Ian that most people don't know. And unfortunately, I feel like it doesn't really show the full scope of Ian in this movie because Ian is a very tragic character. And at the same time, I think that maybe they thought that in this movie, it wouldn't be best to play him as a controlling asshole. Yeah, his, his relationship with Debbie was very fraught, to say the least. He had a very, very... He was not a good boyfriend. He wasn't the best husband. I mean, he cheated on her. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there is this whole running thing through the plot and in real life that he meets this Belgian girl named Anika Norway and begins having an affair with her. And, you know, that really, really sucks at the same time. They don't really mention this in the movie, but Debbie mentions it in the book, is that he cheated on her several times before this even happened. It was just the Anique thing was so much larger. Yeah. And I mean, just a lot of the decisions that they decided to make in this movie that follow things from Debbie's book are just really, really incredible. And just little tidbits of things like Ian's jacket that says hate on the back, mm -hmm. that apparently he didn't think of the paint when he put put it on it and that it would take forever to dry. And he would go and sit in his friend's car. Eventually it had hate backwards on the seat. Yeah, I mean... it. it... They did really, in such a short period of time, because it's not an overly long movie, no. they really did do a fantastic job of covering so much about Ian's life and also Joy Division's rise and then tragic end uh, so quickly. Can I mention one other thing that's an attention to detail that I thought was really interesting? Yeah, of course. There is a shot where it is after a gig that is cut short because Ian has a seizure on stage, which apparently did happen. I've read things from people online who say like, yeah, I was at, I was at a show when I was like 18 or something and I saw Ian Curtis have a seizure on stage. It was really freaky, mm -hmm. this, that, and the other. But it he gets a, a phone call from Debbie and he goes and there is a playbill that's like half ripped up and it's an ad for a throbbing gristle show. And Ian was really good friends with the singer of Throbbing Gristle, Genesis P. Orridge, who claimed to have uh, talked to Ian on the phone right before he killed himself. But that's debated. Yeah. But I just think that it's it just pays so much attention to detail. Everyone 
looks the part perfectly. I don't think they could have gotten a better person to play Ian than Sam Riley. He looks the part. The only difference is the eye color, but who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that... And he does a valiant effort to try to do Ian Curtis's dance. Which oh my God, yeah. Which is an impossible task. Yeah, and you know, when you see things online and people are like, man, he can't do that dance at all. It's like, I'd like to see you fucking try. If you've never seen Ian Curtis dancing, just look it up on YouTube. You will see a clip. You can't imitate that. No, we, we've tried figuring out what exactly is it that he's doing because it's one of those things you see it, but then you try to break down in your mind, okay, what is he doing? What are those movements? And you just can't replicate it. Yeah, I think Stephen Morris referred to him as like a whirling dervish. Yeah. I think everyone did really, really great in it. I think that my favorite person in this is Toby Cabell, who plays Rob Gretton, their manager. He is fucking hilarious. Yeah, he is great. Uh, he's, like I said, he's hilarious. One of the funny things uh, when I was looking him up to see if I'd seen him in anything else, apparently I had, but didn't really know it. He did the motion capture for King Kong in Kong Skull Island. That's fucking insane. And, you know, I, I really like the actress who plays Anika Nore. She does very, she has a really good job. And she and Sam Riley, who play Ian, are married now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's really fascinating. And just to go back to Sam Riley really quick, you know, before I had really looked much into Joy Division before, I saw pictures of him and I thought it was Ian. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, now I know better, but <laughs> yeah, you can spot the differences now. But he he does a great job. He does a really great job, and just the fact that they had everyone playing the instruments mm-hmm. is incredible. And I mean, everyone does look like everyone. The actor who's playing Hooky looks like Hooky. The actor playing Bernard looks like Bernard. Like it's really really amazing. And so, what were some things that you really love about the movie? Well, like we've been saying, not only is it a really good biopic, it's just a good movie. Mm-hmm. That that's the great thing in my mind here. Like, even if you don't know anything about Joy Division, even if you don't like the music, like it's still a really good story, mm-hmm. and it is very well execute executed. It's a good looking movie, well acted. It's just it's really good, and that's something like normally with this kind of movie, you have to have all sorts of caveats for like, well, you like it if you're a fan or something like that. But I really can't have any caveats here, like. It's a good movie, and I just would recommend anyone watches it. Yeah, you saw the movie before you had ever really listened to any Joy Division, right? Right. Like, I'd heard a few songs, but I wasn't, I wouldn't call myself a fan. But I really enjoyed the movie, and it did make me like Joy Division quite a lot more. Yeah. And I'll tell you one thing. I won't forget Rudolph Hess. Three, five, oh, one, two, five, go! <laughs> that's so weird that punk bands had just this fascination with Nazis for the longest time. Yeah, that's a whole other topic. I do think that that is a really great thing, that it doesn't demand prior knowledge for you to see it and enjoy it as a movie. Like, the fact that you can put it in and have no idea who any of these guys are, and it's just an interesting story about a band and this guy who is the frontman of the band, and he has all these moral and emotional problems, and then he has these awful physical problems that limit him and just totally upset him and, and rule his life. Yeah, absolutely. It's a compelling story. It really is a compelling story, and it's really, really sad that Ian is gone. But I think that no matter what would have happened, he would have had to have stopped doing music. It wasn't good for his health. He was doing all the wrong things for his health at that point. But, you know, what can you do when you're fucking 23? 
because I think we always forget that. And it's like, we look at pictures of like Sid Vicious and stuff and forget that he was like 21 when he was dead, you know? It, it's like, these they're so fucking young. I think that it has a really, really great selection of songs in it. It doesn't just show Level Terrace apart and that's the end of it. Like, it, 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 they have a lot of their old Warsaw songs, which was their band name before they changed it to Joy Division. Let's not talk about the origins of <laughs> the title Joy Division. You can find that out for yourself. But um, there's stuff that's not on Unknown Pleasures. There's stuff that's not on Closer. And again, the fact that, you know, it was the actors performing just mm-hmm. like adds a whole other level of things that are impressive about this movie. You know, it would have yeah. been very easy for them just to choose to lip sync everything like they were on top of the pops, but they oh, they totally. did it. They performed and they sounded great. Yeah, and the one thing I like about Sam Riley's voice in this is that you can tell that he's not just trying to sound like Ian Curtis. Like he does still have his own voice mm-hmm. to it, but it still works on its own. And there are some people who think that that is not a good thing, but I really have to disagree there because I think people who don't like it, I'm sure that he is doing a better job than you could. I appreciate it. It sounded good. And sometimes it can be distracting if you're watching a movie and then you see an actor start lip syncing to something they clearly aren't singing. Oh, yeah. I never really enjoy that. If I wanted to watch a Jalo, I'd watch a (laughs) Jalo. Exactly. So is there anything about this movie that you feel like should have been changed? Honestly, I I don't have anything I can really criticize. That's not to say it's a perfect movie or my favorite movie, but it's great. And, you know, it tells the story of Joy Division so well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just, like I said, it it succeeds not only in being a biopic, but it also just succeeds in being a really great movie. I would say if I had to change anything, it would just be a couple extra sentences at the end because I feel like the ending really, really slaps you in the face. Because, I mean, we all know what happens at this point. You and I have said at at this point in the podcast several times that Ian, you know, decides to get some much-needed rest that is unfortunately permanent. But at the end, it just says, Ian Curtis died May 18th, such and such. He was 23 years old. And then that's the end of the movie. That's roll credits. Like, if it could have said... He went on to inspire generations of other bands, and everyone else went on to New Order. <laughs> I mean, it's Ian's story, and it ends when Ian's story ends. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that is. When you when you kill yourself, you kill the world, too. Yeah. But one thing that I did not notice prior that I thought was a really nice touch that kind of hints at the whole New Order thing is that it shows them... Uh, all the bandmates sitting around a table at a pub and they all look are looking really, really upset. But Jillian Gilbert is there sitting next to Stephen Morris. And, you know, she she went on to be like a guitarist and keyboardist in New Order. Yeah, the, there's a shot after Ian has killed himself and you kind of get, you know, shots of people reacting. And like you said, when you see the bandmates at that point, what you're seeing is the lineup for New Order. There's just so much attention to detail. Like early on in the movie, it shows Debbie putting up their washing and Ian looks at it a few times Mm -hmm. during the film. And because if you didn't know, that's how Ian took his own life is that he hung himself with the washing rack in their kitchen. On on the topic of attention to detail, uh, kind of famously, there's a few things that are known about uh, when Ian killed himself, Mm -hmm. what he did that night. 
because yeah. he was alone that night but th- there are some known aspects of it which yeah. this movie does does pay attention to that and get it right yeah 24 hour party people does too but it gets quite a few things wrong as well so in 24 hour party people it shows ian watching uh strelshek on tv which is a really 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 fucking good Werner herzog movie i recommend it it's i love that dancing chicken <laughs> i mean it's a really bleak movie but that dancing chicken's great but it just shows ian watching and watching it and then it cuts away and then it cuts back and his feet are just swinging yeah. while the chicken is dancing which i mean Decent framing, fine, but in Control it shows him sitting and drinking and kind of just spacing out. You know how sometimes you space out so hard that you stop blinking and your eyes start watering? Mm-hmm. Like, it, that he does that, and I, yeah. that really, like, hits me, like, because I've been really depressed and have done that before, too, when I've been watching stuff, but, you know, he does that, and uh, he listens to Iggy Pop's The Idiot, mm-hmm. which... um that's what Debbie mentioned was that it was still spinning yeah. when she found him. It's it is really 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 sad. You know, he spent the night alone, but everyone knows what happened that night and just the same if you look up anything about Stroshek, if you look up anything about the idiot, they mention Ian Curtis. Yeah. And I think like it's a part of the attention to detail, but it's also like a really spooky part about it too is that where they shot it with Ian going to, um, well, because Ian didn't hang himself, he strangled himself. Yeah. Which is very, very different. God, so fucking sad. But, um, and what they had Sam Riley do in the movie is exactly what Ian did. Yeah, because as we said before, they filmed it in their house, and that's mm-hmm. where he killed himself. Right so there. They, they filmed the scene where Ian kills himself in the exact room where he did kill himself. Yeah, and Sam Riley said in an interview that it was very, very strange that he had to do that. And even when they were setting up shots and he uh, needed some rest, he slept in the bedroom upstairs right where their bed was. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, he was living Ian's life in more than one. You know, he's learning the songs he's playing the songs he's singing the songs he is being filmed writing out the lyrics on paper in the same all cap scroll that ian had in the same room in the same room yeah yeah it's again going back to attention detail that's a really good example of how deep it went and the non-joy division soundtrack is so great they're they've got really really great david bowie songs it's got roxy music mm-hmm. fucking craft work mm-hmm. i love craft yeah work. just a really good sample of what the music scene was like at the time and oh, some yeah. of the inspirations that ian had yeah and uh you know the night that he meets any canore and the uh they stay up all night talking while everyone else is asleep you know, they're listening to David Bowie's Low and mm-hmm. um, and Warsawa is playing. Yeah. Which is what they based. The name Warsaw. The, ba- yeah. the previous band name. Yeah. yeah. It's just a really, really great movie. If you love Joy Division, just watch it. I know like a lot of people, like even people that I've talked to have said, I'm too afraid to watch it because I think it'll upset me too much. Don't worry about that. It is just a really, really good movie. Mm-hmm. And if it makes you feel something at the end, then good. That's what it's supposed to do. It yeah. does suck that a musician that you really like is gone. But, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah. But it shouldn't be a great movie. just got to learn how to have a movie. sense of humor about it, just like oh the rest God. of the band did. The band has had a pretty good sense of humor about it. What is... Oh, so I got this. I got this New Order documentary 
on VHS that I found at a secondhand shop and it has this horrible, horrible voice. So it's like the band wanted to go like it's mm-hmm. it's like it's like this really like gloopy voice. It's so horrible. But it just shows them just kind of dicking around a little bit and then there's music videos in between and there's mm-hmm. stuff about Joy Division and their history and then there's stuff about New Order. Yeah, and there's that part where fucking they're doing like the little quiz show thing with Keith Allen. With Keith and, Allen, yeah. and you know he's asking them trivia questions like, "What was Ian Curtis's dog's name? Candy. Yeah, mm-hmm. Candy. Which I wish would have been in the movie. Yeah. I think a border collie would have really improved control. <laughs> the and then another one of the questions is, "Who is the laziest member of New Order?" And then Hooky just goes, "Ian Curtis. He hasn't done anything in years." And then at another point, Bernard says that um, that Jillian, it was actually Jillian who killed Ian and yeah. made it look like a suicide so that she could join the band and get famous. They have a dark but good sense of humor about what happened. Yeah, because they're they were all friends. Yeah, and you know it was it was part of that sort of attitude that made Ian feel really isolated because he felt like no one really understood him, and because that's where a lot of the lyrics for the song "Isolation" come from. You should really just watch Control. It is kind of hard to find right now. It is out of print, but you can actually purchase it on YouTube and probably a few other, like, online platforms. And, like, seriously, just fucking do it. Like, if you like Joy Division, you should really, really see it. And if you like just, like, even 60s-style, like, kitchen sink British movies, like The Sporting Life or anything like that, like, you should get it because it has those vibes to it. Definitely. It's so good. So on that note, let's talk about England is mine. <laughs> Do we have to? I mean, we've gone for a while talking about control. Do you want to just stop here? No, we can talk about England is mine, but the, I think <sighs> we had so much positive thing, so many positive things to say about control, and I don't know if we're going to have a single positive thing to say about England is mine. I got one thing. Okay, well, yeah. I'm, I'm excited so, to hear. Yeah, uh, I mean, the thing is, is like, with control, it's just like, would you change anything? No, nah, not really. Would you change anything about England is mine? <laughs> yeah. I, yes. Yeah, I, I would, my change would be not making it. That, yeah. That would be my recommendation. <laughs> if we could just go back, just strike the movie, just say, this never happened. If people say, but I remember seeing it, say, no, you didn't. That was a fever dream. You've been in a coma for years. Wake up. This is your sign to wake up. That's a very boring fever dream, I have to say. Mm-hmm. So let, let's just get into it. Let's rip this Band-Aid off. So England is Mine is the story, I guess. It's a partial, it's the partial story of a Mr. Stephen Morrissey. Yeah. So who the hell is Stephen Morrissey? Uh, Morrissey. Yeah. He's Morrissey. Forget about Stephen. It's all Morrissey. Yeah. But, yes, Morrissey is the lead singer of The Smiths, a fantastic band. I really do love The Smiths. Oh, yeah. They're fantastic. They have so many great songs. But it is common knowledge that Morrissey is not a great person. He's an asshole. He's very pompous. He's very full of himself. Yeah. That's... Okay. So... Before we get too far into this movie, I'll mm-hmm. say that is the one accurate thing about this movie is he is insufferable. Yeah, <laughs> no one likes him. But yeah, Morrissey, lead singer Smith, great. 
Morrissey also had has had a long solo career. Yeah. Lots of great music in there as well, especially oh, yeah. his early work. Viva Hate is a good album. Great, great stuff. So that's someplace you and I both agree on this. It's like no matter what we think of Morrissey personally, he's very talented and has made some great music that we just really like. Yeah, I think it was it was Nick Cave who not too long ago was like, can we just focus on the music and just forget everything? Because, you know, art... <laughs> separate it from the artist maybe that a little bit like nick cave the voice of reason yeah but you know morrissey has kind of sort of been back in the somewhat public eye recently because there was a new simpsons episode made about him that was shocking to me yeah i mean first of all how many people who are watching the simpsons know who morrissey is Yeah, like season 60 or whatever or think he's relevant at this point like I, I, you and I will talk about Morrissey probably more than the vast majority of people, and we're not talking about Morrissey all the time. No, we're not. So it was interesting to make him the focus. But no, I actually understand exactly where it's coming from because, you know, I've had times where I've been just kind of finding new music and stuff, and I find something that I really, really like. And, you know, in the episode of The Simpsons is the, because we, we watched it, mm-hmm. and it's not a bad episode, no. actually. But, you know, Lisa finds that i mean they use fake names in it yeah. so whatever we'll just but call it morrissey morrissey but yeah um lisa finds like smith songs and you know says like oh it's like that this dour guy and he's like a militant vegetarian and she's like oh that's awesome and she like falls in love with him like listens to all the music and then starts imagining him as like an imaginary friend mm-hmm. who helps like her give like insults and stuff because that's what he's good at yeah she starts realizing more and more that he's just kind of a whiny bitch mm-hmm. and then she uh, ends up going to see a smith a smith's reunion at like a bumbershoot equivalent mm-hmm Seeing that Morrissey now is just this fat, mean, racist asshole. Mm -hmm. Who eats meat now. Which Morrissey's publicist came out and was like, no, no, no. Morrissey was, there's two things in particular he was very adamant about. One, he still doesn't eat meat, which fair enough, he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And two, he's never had that large of a belly. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. It was like, my my (laughs) belly's never been that big. And it's true. They did... They did draw him way fatter than he actually they, they, is. They, they did a caricature of Morrissey yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Morrissey has aged like an English farmer. He's just turned into like a big stack of spam. Yeah, he, he, he ages like a tree. He just gets more rings, which each year <laughs> just gets wider. Yeah, he's just really, really thick. He's yeah. a thick boy. <laughs> but yeah, going back to the movie, it's directed by Mark Gill. It's also his first feature film. He's from Manchester. He apparently had a uh, Academy Award nominated short film a few years back. The movie stars Jack Loudon as Morrissey. We couldn't really find that he had been in anything like super notable, at least anything that we knew about. And it also co-stars Judy Comer playing a character named Christine, who's Chloe yeah. from My Mad Fat Diary, which is a really it's it's a really good like mid two thousands like nineties based uh, teen drama from the BBC. Yeah, that to, I think that's the only thing that we like about this movie is that it has it has Chloe in Chloe it. Chloe in it because we had watched that show and like 
oh, we recognize her. This is great. You know, yeah. we just end up quoting that show because that's way more fun than actually watching this movie. Oh, yeah, because the main girl from Mad Fat Diary has this really distinct accent. I mean, since we're American, we can't really tell all the accents apart, but she's just walking around talking about this movie and just going, Chloe, stop trying to bone Marcy. He's gay. <laughs> <laughs> And so the title of England is Mine comes from the song Still Ill off of the self-titled album, which is a really, really great song. The movie follows Morrissey from about the same age as it starts with Ian in Control. Yeah, he's in high school being very dour. Mm-hmm. Very, very dour. And the movie starts almost exactly the way Control does. Mm-hmm. And yeah, very similar. You can't help, especially since this came out 10 years later, you can't help but think, maybe you watched Control yeah. and were a little inspired. Because when Control starts, it's Ian sitting in a room, and it's a recitation of some of his song lyrics, and they try to do similar with Morrissey, where there's like a voiceover where he's uh, reciting something. But I looked it up, and I can't find it anywhere. I think they made it up. You know, I feel like that's, a very good indication of what was to come because I'll just say it right now. If you go into this movie because you were a big fan of the Smiths or Morrissey solo work and you just want to learn more about the band or his music career and hear some of his music, got some news for you. Yeah, there are no Smith songs in this movie. No Morrissey songs, no Smith songs. In fact, the movie, like you said, it starts with him as a dour high schooler. It ends before he even makes the Smiths. Like, I... Yeah. I, I think the first time we watched this movie, we were so angry because we're the whole mm-hmm. time we're just watching this dour, annoying person who we know at some point is supposed to start making music, but he never does. Yeah, and I mean, just the fact that they couldn't use any Smith songs and it seems like they didn't take any... Because Morrissey has written a lot of stuff and... They didn't take any of his writings or anything like that. Meanwhile, in Control, you have Ian doing voiceover reciting a poem that he wrote to Debbie in a fucking Valentine's Day card. But you can't get anything from Morrissey in this movie. Nothing. It's, it's so, there's so little Morrissey in this movie that the movie has to constantly try to remind you that it is a movie about Morrissey. Yeah. So every character is constantly saying... Stephen Morrissey yeah. as a full name when they're referring to Stephen. Yeah. So like, because if, if this movie, if they just referred to him as his first name, this whole movie, you would have no idea that this was a movie about Morrissey. Mm-hmm. So every character has to go out of their way to say Stephen Morrissey, Stephen Morrissey, yeah. Stephen Morrissey. And another part of it that was really jarring is that there's these characters, like his friend at the beginning of the movie, who is clearly like could be supplemented for an imaginary friend because it feels to me like when I was watching it, there's another really, really great biopic called Can You Ever Forgive Me? And it's about a woman named Lee Israel who forged a bunch of celebrity letters in New York back many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And in the movie adaptation, she has this uh, friend named Jack who's played by Richard E. Grant, who I love so much. And... You know, they do all this stuff together, and he talks to her, and she responds. 
blah, blah, blah. Because in her memoir, in her book, she's doing all this stuff alone. So you need a character to kind of bounce off of them so that they're not just alone all the time. And that's what it feels like in this movie, that we have this character who needs to talk to Morrissey because otherwise it would just be this guy fucking alone with his thoughts the whole time. Yeah. And then she just disappears. And then reappears with cancer. Yeah. Or like one scene. Yeah, and we don't know who she is because she looks totally different and she's asleep. It's this movie's really (laughs) poor attempt at trying to humanize Morrissey. Like, it's weird to say that. Like, not that the movie, not that Morrissey is inhuman, but the movie almost makes him inhuman because he's just this character who's hanging around alone by himself. Every time he opens his mouth, he's complaining, he's rude. Everyone calls him a dickhead. Like, he has nothing nice to say about anything. Like, even when his parents split up and his father leaves the house on Christmas Day, all he has to say is, oh, who's going to carve the turkey? Yeah, which his sister immediately calls him a dickhead, which he is. Yeah. That's the thing, you know, going back to Control, Ian, of course, you know, he cheated on Debbie. He had lots of flaws. Mm -hmm. But he was a complicated person and that came through in the story and like despite his flaws you're rooting for him Mm -hmm. in this i I, it's hard to say how much it reflects what morrissey was actually like but from what i've heard it might be very fair portrayal yeah but he's just insufferable he's just Mm -hmm. ignoring you know how accurate it is to to morrissey's real life it's just why would you want to watch a movie where this is your protagonist? You know what I mean? Yeah, all he really does in the movie is sit in corners and gawk at people with a scowl and he scribbles in his little notebook and is literally saying things like, when are people going to realize my genius? Yeah, it's just him criticizing everyone around him and telling and claiming that he's a genius who just no one, no one recognizes it. Everyone's yet. stupid except for me. Yeah, he's really annoying. And again, I might be able to forgive that if it was a movie about the Smiths. Yeah. But it is not. It is not a movie about the Smiths. I think that, you know, with this movie, you can go two ways. You can get a guy who looks exactly like Morrissey, but he can't sing like him. Mm -hmm. Or you can get a guy that looks nothing like Morrissey, but he sings exactly like him. Mm -hmm. And with this movie, they got a guy who doesn't look like Morrissey at all. Yeah. But he does sing like Morrissey yeah, very, very well. One scene where he does sing, he doesn't sing a Smith song because mm-hmm. it's a scene where he's part of his previous band. And, and so the the band Morrissey was in prior to being in the Smiths. So it's it's not a song anyone would have recognized. It's a cover of it, like an old doo-wop song. Yeah. It's not in the context of it being the Smiths. So there's just, like I said, a single scene where he's singing but it's not it's not a Smith song, so it's kind of well, worthless. Kind of. I mean, the uh, riff that the that the guitarist is playing is the same riff, just slightly tweaked from Rush Home Ruffians from Meet Is Murder. So that's an interesting little tidbit. But when the guy sings, he does sound like Morrissey, and then he never sings again, it's which just... is so disappointing. It's so heartbreaking. If you if you don't have the rights to the music. For the musician you're gonna make a biopic for maybe don't make the movie that's that's yeah, my they, they had they had rights to some roxy music make a fucking brian ferry movie if yeah, you have why to not? that'd be more interesting it's like let's use an example here so 
There is a movie from the 90s that is very, very contentious for mm. some people. I know where you're going. Called Velvet Goldmine. And it doesn't have any of the original... Well, it does have some original songs, but some key bands, they don't have the original music, but they have covers of them. And they're really, really fucking good. Yeah. Some even, like there is a Roxy Music cover of 2HB sung by Tom York of Radiohead that's better than the Roxy Music one. Yeah. And... They have some original songs like mm-hmm. Hot Love, which is sung by Jonathan Rhys Myers in the movie, but it's supposed to be a David Bowie song and it sounds like a David Bowie song, but it's not a David yeah. Bowie song. They could have done that in this movie, but instead they went the route of the David Bowie bi- biopic that came out not too long ago where they didn't have any of the rights to the music. Yeah. And it just sounded like shit. Yeah, that's the difference. So Velvet Goldmine wanted to be a David Bowie movie but they didn't get the rights to the music so instead they made a david bowie-esque character made it fictionalized and honestly it's better for it Mm -hmm. you and i both really enjoy that movie yeah and they could have done similar with this movie but they didn't yeah they're honestly they should have just scrapped he doesn't get his pompadour until like the last 20 minutes of the movie the whole time you're watching this movie and you know it's supposed to be about morrissey but it's just this guy who looks nothing like Morrissey, not even attempting, like you said, he doesn't have the hair or anything like that for like 90% of the movie. There's one like photo booth picture of Morrissey when he's young with that hair. Yeah. And they decided to make it the whole movie. Yeah. So the whole time you're looking at this guy who looks nothing like Morrissey, he's not in a band. He's not performing, you know, with the Smiths. And frankly, you know, we were just talking about how Ian Curtis, by the age of 23, had so much happen in his life. Morrissey's the opposite story. His life prior to starting The Smiths is mostly just sitting around writing in his notebook, mm-hmm. which, which is just I mean, not interesting to watch. It's not interesting to watch. I mean, if that's your life, fine, you know, cool. But it's not. It doesn't really make for a good movie. No, you know, it's like like the hardest mumblecore shit I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's just this. It, it's a it, it's a movie that really relies on the idea that you know. You know, where this is going that you know all about the smiths all about morrissey and so they'll drop these like fan servicey hints at like oh well one day this will be you know he'll be important oh but... yeah like being at a party and then just one guy going i'm johnny yeah and you're like i don't <laughs> yeah you know, it's like we know that that's yeah, johnny, like, Marr, okay, but johnny other Marr, he's gonna be you know the the other half of the smiths so to speak right mm-hmm. like he's an important figure here but yeah if you're just watching this movie going in blind I don't know what you come away with with this movie, you know? Yeah, like, and I mean, I guess I totally understand that depression is very, very boring. Depression is very, very boring. And, you know, after he does that one gig, I think they decide that they don't want him anymore. And he just isolates and stays for his in his room for months. Yeah. And that's not fun to watch. No. <laughs> I mean, that sums up this movie very well. It's It's not fun to watch. I don't think it has... I can't even recommend it for someone who is a Smiths fan because, again, you're not getting any Smiths content to it. No, an outside viewer would be totally lost. They'd be like, I don't know who this is because at the end, Johnny Marr does show up again and and asks at his mom's house and asks after him. And then the next day, Morrissey goes over to Johnny Marr's house and and he knocks on the door and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. At the point where anyone who actually might have been interested in this movie would have hoped it started. Yeah. Right? Like, I want to see the story of the Smiths. I want to see, you know, them start as this scrappy band and who rise to become the 
band we all know. Yeah, I mean, I want to see Smith's music. I want to see his weird little feuds with Robert Smith. <laughs> yeah. I want to see him getting in f- arguments with people and people like generally not liking him, but mm-hmm. in the context of music and musicians. You want to see him sing into some flowers on top of the bops. Yeah, I mean, I think what I kind of want is a 24-hour party people-esque version of the Smiths. Yeah, that'd be better. But instead, what we got is a movie of a weird loner who just kind of scribbles in his notebook all day where while all the other characters tell him how insufferable he is. Yeah, and that's basically the whole entire movie. And, you know, there is a little tidbit there that can cross these two. I mean, other than them both being from Manchester, being singers, was that after, after Ian died, Morrissey said really rude things about Mm -hmm. Ian like on interviews that you can see where he says things like oh people are always treated like they're wonderful after they die and stuff like that and basically saying that you know Ian had no talent and things like that and he did that off camera as well where he was just like a total ass and apparently Rob Gretton their manager once got up in Morrissey's face and said well at least Ian had the balls to kill himself rather than just moan about it like you yeah Rob Gretton's great Rob Gretton <laughs> rest in fucking peace Rob Gretton what a cool guy oh yeah but yeah I mean at least again going back to that, at least that's a story at least there's conflict there's other you know there, there's something there it's a story yeah and i mean you can make a movie about a depressed person having a hard time you know there's so many movies like that but this this ain't it no this movie is just dull and annoying yeah if you love the smiths I don't think you'll really enjoy this movie. And I think if you hate the Smiths, it'll just make you hate them more. The weird part is that I think it has a shockingly high score online. Yeah, not that it's super high, but it's like five point something on IMDb, which is too high. Way too high. Well, and I was looking up some stuff on YouTube and like there's the clip where Morrissey's talking to his mom and he just kind of gets tears in his eyes and shakes his head and he's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do, mom. And so, and like so many people are like, oh my God, this made me cry. It's like, I don't feel that way. No. I guess like I'm just, I'm like I'm sitting there just looking at the clock the whole time. Like, okay, when's the movie going to be over? Because I mean, you know, trying to prepare for this, this is the second time I've seen the movie. And I thought maybe I would like it more. Like maybe I just didn't give it a, a good enough shake. Like maybe there was something that I missed. And I didn't. Yeah. I think that sums it up really well. You know, you and I have watched Control, I don't know, three or four times or so now. <laughs> I've watched it like six or seven yeah, times. And, and each time we enjoy it. It's a good movie. We had to watch England is Mind for, for a second time after years of, you know, we saw it the first time years ago. We rewatched it again earlier this week, kind of in preparation for this. Oh, man, that was such a slog. It's so hard to watch. It's so boring. I guess my one real gripe that I have with this movie, a big personal gripe that I have, is that the day that the trailer came out, someone who had gotten into the apartment building heard our TV and knocked on the door and asked us for money. Yeah, we actually got panhandled in our own home. (laughs) Not something I'd ever expect to happen, but... God damn you, Morrissey! (laughs) Yep. Give me back my money. <laughs> and my time, please. 
and you know it is such a shame because it's it's hard being a Smiths fan where at this point they're considered like basic bitch kind mm-hmm. of Tumblr Pinterest music which is fucking sucks and you know Morrissey is kind of a butthole yeah I mean I'm sure if you get to know him maybe he's not <laughs> that bad you can go see him in Vegas yeah, I mean, it's... Morrissey deciding to do a Vegas residency was a fucking shocker for me. And then the pandemic happened. I think it's his fault. You know, I'd believe it. The world said, uh-uh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, again, I'm still a fan of, of the music, but there was no music in this movie, so nothing could redeem it. Yeah. Don't like it. Nope. But it's on Prime, so, you know, if if we yeah. haven't dissuaded you, if what you heard sounds really great, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you go into it and you look at the positive reviews online and you go, I think I'll like that, then by all means go ahead because, you know, we are not the bastions of good <laughs> taste or anything like that. But, you know, Stress Check is also on Prime. <laughs> good point. Yeah, so could watch that and see the dancing chicken. Yeah. That'd be a much better use of your time. Oh, yeah. But definitely, if you get a chance, it's hard to find. But check out Control. All right, quick. What's your favorite Joy Division song? I think I'm going to have to go with Love Will Tear Us Apart. Dead Souls is my favorite. What's your favorite uh, Smith song? I'm going to go with This Charming Man. Headmaster Ritual is my favorite. So yeah, so that you know that we're not a couple of fucking posers and we know the goddamn music (laughs) at this point. Well, thanks for listening to us jaw on forever about two Mancunian artists that one that's hard to hate and one that's hard to love. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Quick, one question for you about Manchester, Mm -hmm. which is the best football club. Man fucking city, number fucking one. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Man, Liam Gallagher on Twitter lately has been such a treat. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Liam's always a treat. Waiting for that movie. Oh, God. I do want a biopic about the the fucking Gallagher brothers. I'd love to watch that. With the fucking blur conflict? Mm Mm-hmm. Forget the Falklands. Forget (laughs) about all that shit. (laughs) The real British conflict that matters. The Brit-pop battle of the Mm mid-90s. Damn. Who won? I think long-term you're going to have to say blur. Yeah. But I'll always have a soft spot for Oasis. No, you need a soft spot on your head to like their music. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. I guess in keeping in line with 80s music and that sort of German kind of cold vibe, I'm going to be covering next a movie that I think is criminally underrated. It is very, very disturbing. Der Fan or The Fan. So that'll be the one that I'm covering next, so just stick around for that one. And in the meantime, maybe check out one of these movies, hopefully the first one that we talked about. Listen to some Joy Division, or listen to The Smiths, or listen to The Cure if you want to, or listen to any of the other bands that are around that time and era, because most of them are pretty goddamn good, and they don't get enough play these days. So yeah, do that. Thank you for joining me again, Connor. Uh, It's been fun. Oh, yeah. And and one last thing. I don't really ask for this 
ever or anything, but if you listen to me on some platform where you can review me, uh, please consider reviewing me because I don't have many reviews and I can only review myself once, so <laughs> give me some help with that. I would really, really appreciate it. If you listen to this, uh, send me a message or something, let me know what you thought, and yeah, take good care, and I'll see you next time. Or you'll hear me next time. I'm not going to see you. Or can I? That's my secret. All right. See you later. Thanks for listening to Ghouls Only Cast. Lightly written, produced, and hosted by me, Meg. Music by Dan Lucas. Follow me on Instagram at Ghouls Only Press. You can support this podcast by supporting my shop, ghoulsonlypress.com. Stay cool, ghoul. Cool.